0: Today on the show, we're talking about what's not said about tiny houses in the mainstream media. Welcome to the Simple Money Solutions podcast, where we focus on your money from a community perspective. This podcast is produced weekly and released every Monday. Show notes for every episode can be found at LiveLifeSimple.ca. And let's get on with the show. Hey, everyone. I'm your host, Courtney. And as always, I'm joined with my co-host, Trevor. As mentioned in the introduction, today we're talking about What's not said about tiny houses? So today in the media, we're seeing so much of tiny houses. We see documentaries about it. We see it on TV. We see news articles about it. Everyone is moving into a tiny house. This trend is huge. But today, we want to do a little debunking on maybe some downsides that aren't really showed when people take on the idea of wanting to live in a tiny house. So Trevor, before we launch into today's news article, can you define for our listeners what a tiny house is and a little bit about the movement?
1: The tiny house movement is a description for an architectural social movement that advocates for living simply in very small dwellings. And a tiny house is really defined as something under 500 square feet. And that sounds amazingly small. Uh, we're going to have links to some of these tiny houses uh, in our show notes. But uh, a, a tiny house, a uh, 500 square feet. In a lot of cases, that's smaller than a motor home. Just to put it in perspective for people.
0: And while this episode is looking at maybe some downsides that aren't regularly portrayed in the media, in no means are we shooting down the idea of a tiny house. Trevor and I and I both think that tiny houses are such a cool movement, and there's so much potential there to really minimize your life and simplify. How you live. So, uh, in, in no way does this is this episode putting down anyone who who lives in a tiny house, because honestly, it's something that I am personally even interested in myself in the future. So today's article is called "Teeny House Big Lie: Why So Many Proponents of the Tiny House Movement Have Decided to Upsize." This article is by Aaron Anderson and it's from the Globe and Mail. In a- Aaron Sanderson's words, "As we were packing up our cottage last summer, my 14-year-old casually observed." It's good we're leaving while we still like each other. For 10 weeks of that year, my husband and I, along with our two sons, live blissfully in Nova Scotia in a two-bedroom A-frame that measures roughly 320 square feet, accounting for the sloped roof. We sleep in the loft upstairs, which adds about 80 square feet. This puts our cottage within tiny home range, making us part-time members of a high-minded, green-friendly, cost-saving movement to live small in a world of supersized mansions. As with many other tiny home dwellers, we use a compost toilet. We bring in our own water by boat, take sun heated showers outside and cook on the barbecue. On rainy days, we convert the dinner table into a ping pong table. I could leave it at that with my eco mom credentials secured. My brood stuffed in a birdhouse with the walls closing in. But that would be cheating. Our front view is the open ocean as big and expansive as it gets. Our sun drenched dock is as large as the cottage floor, a perfect workspace. We regularly head over to grandma's house for laundry and jacuzzi. There's nothing a tiny home inhabitant appreciates more than borrowed plumbing. Our boys spend their weekends at sailing camp. For a tiny house, it's big living. But could we stay there crammed together year-round through fall storms and winter weather? Assuming, of course, we have insulation. Could I handle 12 months of banging my head on the roof when I wake up in the morning, clambering down the loft ladder in the dark, having no place to read in private while cabin fever sets in? Talk about the fastest family trip to Paradise Lost. We're far from alone, although you don't hear much about the people who shutter their tiny houses among all the upbeat stories with perfectly staged spreads, or those two HGTV building shows, Tiny House Hunters, and Tiny House Big Living. You too can live small in an oversized world. The arbiter for tiny homes suggests it's the next best trend in four walls. Certainly, the motivation is hard to fault. As a society, we've been urban sprawling to our detriment, wasting energy, space, and interest on sky-high mortgages. And we could definitely kick the knick-knack habit. But how small can we shrink without wreaking havoc of a different kind? Are tiny homes really sustainable? Maybe not so much, at least not for everyone. Remember that couple featured in the documentary Tiny, which depicted their tiny home's construction and extolled the minimalist lifestyle? They parked the end result in a field in Colorado and never lived in it together full time. In a blog, they explained they left this out of the movie so as not to spoil the experience of seeing that story unfold on screen. You may also recall Carrie and Shane Cavary, who were featured on TV shows and in newspaper articles for bonding in their tiny home. They lasted 18 months before they decided it was too small and moved into an apartment. Many more owners rent out their tiny homes or use them only as weekend getaways, but it, and it's not as easy to find a tiny home builder actually dwelling full-time in the product they're selling, at least not in Canada. To be fair, the people abandoning their tiny homes aren't trading them in for McMansions. Their fallbacks are still small by modern standards, and there are certainly people who make a full-time go of it, but it's not hard to find upsizers even among the movement's keenest enthusiasts. And before tiny homes and shipping container homes are considered solutions for affordable housing in cities, that should give urban planners and policymakers pause. After all, it's one thing to live by choice in a chic shack in a pastoral setting or a warm climate. It's quite another to be forced into a micro room without a view because that's all you can afford. What might work short term for a millennial in New York or a homeless person in California is not necessarily the answer for a single mom. I can't imagine anyone with children not going bonkers in them, says Susan Siegert, an environmental psychology professor at the City University of New York Graduate School, who studies the effect of overcrowding on families. Haven't we learned anything from futuristic sci-fi movies? Cramming people into boxes stacked on top of each other, thus turning the space into a currency, is just asking for Matt Damon to lead a rebellion. We are getting a lot of idealism and a lot of people promoting this perfect picture without having lo- the longevity to endure it, says Dak Kopac, the Director of Design for Human Health at Boston Architectural College. We are not going being proactive to see what we have learned already from history. The lesson? Bad housing often crumbles into slum living for the poorest families. When was the last time a trailer park was com- a coveted address? Cramped dwellings also take their toll, research shows, on our physical and mental health. Everybody needs their space, Koback says. A lack of space has been linked to depression, alcoholism, and poor school performance in children. When you start going with tiny spaces, including attics and basements where there's poor light and ventilation, you are really getting into the whole reason we started having standards in the 19th century in the first place, Zaggart says. In the late 1800s, community leaders realized that tuberculosis and acute epidemic of misery was spreading rapidly among workers living in packed crumbling housing and set about upgrading standards. More recently, an Australian study published in 2000 found that even accounting for poverty, the risk of a child to contract meningitis was 10 times higher if he or she lived in an overcrowded home. It's very easy to fall into the romanticism of the trailer-based tiny home, says Mark Davidson. One of the organizers of Y.E.G. Tiny Home community group exploring the idea in Edmonton. Davidson himself was inspired by the idea especially that meant more time and money to spend traveling. In my brain I was thinking we could totally make 150 square feet work. He and his wife recently traveled to Portland, Oregon where the tiny home movement took early root. They soon realized that the model homes they toured were just too small especially for their pets and any kids that might come along. It didn't feel homey. It felt like work. Where you had to watch every step every movement, watch out for bumping your head. Maybe it was feasible in California, he mused, where they could live most of the days outside. This is not practical in Canada. Still, there's no shortage of builders trying to make a go of it here. A tiny home community in the works in Vancouver, and there's a micro village outside of Terrace, BC. As the country's largest cities look to increase density with laneway housing and basement apartments, smaller living spaces become a necessary consideration. And some munis- municipalities are experimenting with tiny housing communities for homeless people. Even a transitional bare-bones shoebox home is superior to a park bench. Living low rent or with a micro-mortgage is a definite draw. Tiny hu- houses cost a fraction of the average home on the market. Price per square footage, however, they aren't exactly bargain basement. A 190-square-foot model will cost about $20,000 for an empty shell and up to $100,000 for a designer addition budget up for a mini outdoor hot tub as well. Tiny living usually means getting by with little closet space, a mini fridge, and a compost toilet while climbing a ladder each night to sleep. But the finest models are indeed marvels of efficiency and style. Well-placed skylights, tables that turn into beds, stacked drawers that double stairs. A couple in Nova Scotia who moved into their tiny home in November have an elevator to lift their dog into the loft bedroom. What constitutes tiny continues to be a subject of debate among devotees. Their examples under 100 square feet. Anything over 500 is typically considered small. By comparison, the average size of a new house is about 1,950 square feet, nearly double of what it was in 1975. The tiny size can make building permits tricky, although the s- smaller models are usually built on wheels and rarely with permanent foundation. They can, in principle, be parked anywhere if your neighborhood bylaw or for officer looks the other way. Finding a place to put their tiny homes is one of the biggest headaches owners encounter. But like the wheels on the bottom of those tiny trailer homes, the movement's form falls short on function. If it's commitment to the cost that's being measured, then Alan Kurth, an advertising director in California, was surprised what he discovered when he set out to research how to live in a tiny home. The movement seems like a mirage, she says. Even in Portland, which is often seen as a city friendly to micro-housing, None of the owners I spoke to ever lived in a tiny home. They used them as rental income or, in the case of this current landlord, to store bird feed. There was also the constant risk of being forced to move by city officials. One landlady he met, whose tiny home tenant spent long months traveling for work, moved it onto her property at night to keep its existence hush-hush. Plus, they were more expensive than he expected, and without the land to sweeten the pot, a tiny house, showing wear and tear, loses resale value. I should have been more skeptical, he says, looking back. I've given up the dream because I found it was just a dream. A dream, in fact, that Melanie Sorrentino and her husband Mark tried out a few years ago when they parked their 150-square-foot tiny house on a wooded four acres in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Their place was as rustic as they come. No indoor plumbing, a bucket of sawdust for a toilet. They lasted one year. It was insane, Sorrentino says. Rather than the freedom to be creative, she felt stifled in a too small place. There is no room for the human. Where is the room for the muse, she asked. For a long time, she didn't want to admit it wasn't working, that they would have been better off putting a down payment on a traditional home. At the end of the year, I was seriously worried I was going to have a heart attack from stress. One day, she and Mark looked at each other and decided then and there to sell the land with a tiny house on it and walk away. The tiny house movement is really good philosophically, but it shouldn't be whitewashed with cutesy little houses, she says. My advice for anyone looking at a tiny house or any lifestyle painted so perfectly is try to imagine whether you can grow as a human being in that space. Be prepared. You can't shrink your home and keep up a large-scale life. So cautions Travis Martin, who built his own 187-square-foot home in Barrie, Ontario, while completing an architectural technology diploma. He sees people jumping on the trend, but expecting to live exactly as they did before. You need to radically simplify, not only in the number of possessions, but in lifestyle. You cannot have all the creature comforts that most people are used to. It simply doesn't work, Martina and his wife, Danny Lee, and their toddler, Holden, live in the house for 18 months. They sold it recently after moving to British Columbia. It was awesome for a time, he says, just not a long-term option for a growing family. For my own family, meanwhile, it's been a few months back in Ottawa, sprawling out on three stories, relishing the indoor plumbing. But soon the countdown to return to our tiny cottage will start. There's a comfort in living small in a place that can be tidied in 10 minutes, that naturally discourages consumerism and makes you careful with food and water consumption. But let's be honest, it's the ocean that brings us back each summer. Squeeze that A-frame into a laneway city lot with brick walls for a view, and as my boys so secondly put it, None of us would like each other for very long. So, again, that was an article by Aaron Anderson from the Globe and Mail entitled, Teeny House, Big Lie, why so many proponents of the tiny house movement had decided to ups- upsize. So, Trevor, what was your overall view of this article? You know, I've
1: always been a little skeptic of the uh, tiny house movement. It It seems... Too, too good to be true. Like uh, I've seen a couple of shows on Netflix where they, uh, where they've they've built. They show them building the tiny house, and they do show some some of the challenges they overcome, and then they show them living in it. But I gotta think, living in that for an extended period of time has gotta be a challenge.
0: And like the article even said, like that one example within the article where it says that this couple didn't even live inside their tiny home.
1: Yeah, I actually that should that documentary is on Netflix. That's one one of the ones I watched, and they there was no hint that they weren't going to stay there together. So yeah, that was a, that was a shocker uh, as well. You know, I d- I did some uh, sort of looking online about tiny houses, and and I just want to go over some of the p- the pros and cons that they, they talk about uh, online. So some of the pros around a tiny house are obviously they're they're less expensive. And they're less expensive in, in different ways. The the property tax, the, the it's going to be less or non-existent. The cost of building it, obviously, is going to be less. The cost of heating it would be less. And the cost of maintaining it should be less, in theory. In addition to costing less, tiny houses encourage less clutter, which means less things, which would reduce cost. And uh, tiny houses tend to emphasize design over size. So the design becomes very, very important. As you, s- as you read in that article, that talked about how stairs double as a, as a dresser or, or storage space. So you end up with mul- multifunctionality. So design is critical. Uh, some of the cons to uh, a tiny house is obviously the reduced space. And the uh, I got to think there's a stigma attached to, to living in, in something like that. It's you're really, you're kind of a, an outsider. You're not part of the homeowner community. And you're not part of the RV community either. You're kind of uh out there on your own. So I I, I think tiny homes are are for pretty unique people.
0: But to counter off that con, Trevor, would you not say that there's something something unique to being different?
1: Well, on this show, definitely, we we're promoting the concept of of not living the typical middle class North American lifestyle where people tend to spend more than they earn. So w- we're proponents of of not sort of. Uh, compulsory consumption and 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 being uh you know uh, a robot in our in our society but this seems a little extreme
0: i would have to say that and that's why i really like this article that we picked today is because it does shine light on some of some of the things that are less rosy about living in tiny homes which aren't emphasized again like i said at the beginning of this episode in the mainstream media and really aren't captured again this example of something that was not put in the tiny documentary that that really says whether tiny homes are successful especially for this couple. We, you know Trevor, I do want to ask you
1: you know when I talk to people about tiny tiny homes, uh, people at work or just friends, there's just the concept about it. Or if I s- there's some user forms online where I've exchanged comments with people and there seems to be two schools of thought. There's the people who say, "Oh, I, I could absolutely do that. These are people who have never done it, but they're considering it. There's the people who say, oh, I absolutely could do that. Uh, you know, it, it would be the, the best lifestyle ever. And those people who say, I, I could never do that. And I think both of those people are probably wrong at some level, and they haven't considered all the factors.
0: But at the same time, do you think the people who are, oh, I definitely could see myself doing that, do you think they ever really consider every nuance about living in a tiny home
1: well that's it i think those people just haven't thought about all the uh, day-to-day details of living in a tiny home they're just they're just picturing the the good side of it you know the low cost the the simplicity and i want to say something about tiny homes they're anything but simple in a tiny home there's a lot of complexity because you have a lot of things that have to be multifunctional due to the, the small space so it's anything but simple living in a lot of cases, your uh, uh, your kitchen I- is your living room. like it's multi-purpose. and and then y- your limited source base, meaning all your possessions have to serve a lot of times multiple purposes. So you're very it's a very complicated lifestyle. and it, it's not sometimes a little bit bigger is a little bit simpler,
0: and that's such a good, ironic point to the whole uh, whole movements philosophy, yeah, which that to that make that things simpler.
1: That is irony, right? But do you, you, do you see that or is it just me?
0: Oh, no, I see that. I mean, I, I've been, I actually, my, my interest in minimalism has sparked me to kind of look at tiny homes and you see, you see YouTube videos and, and other things like that. And everything is always serving a multifunctional purpose. You either have to put your bed up to bring the table down or vice versa. And again, it, unless you do live and that's what I like with what this article said unless you live in a warm climate where you can spend a lot of time outside you really are trapped within the confines of these four tiny walls
1: and do you know the one so it it doesn't work in Canada i think at all so may, you may, agree, may, you maybe, agree it, with
0: the author's stance then
1: yeah absolutely it might work out in in Vancouver where the, you know they really don't get a a really harsh winter and you can spend a lot of time outside but in in the rest of Canada, uh, it just doesn't work. You have to, to, to survive in a tiny home, I think you need to spend 50% of your time outside at least.
0: Theoretically, Trevor, if you did live in the U.S. in a warm climate, would you reconsider a tiny home, or is your stance pretty firm?
1: Well, I think it's something I could do for a period of time. Like, is Just say I, I, I committed to doing it for five years. You, you couldn't, I don't think I could commit to doing it indefinitely. I think it's something I could do for a phase in my life, but it's not something I would hope to spend my last days in.
0: Do you agree then with the tone of the article that people are not meant to live in in, in tiny tiny homes or even the co- confines of a small like RV or something like that? Well, you know, I, I read
1: things um there's there's different websites I I've, I've looked at and it's called full-time RVing. That's that's sort of the term. And that's where people just live full-time in an RV, and they're always traveling. And even when you read that, they don't do that forever. The, you know, that's, that's for a, a, a window of time, like a f- three- or five-year period. And then, you know, they, they, get they grow tired of, of not having a, uh, a traditional home. So I, I just don't think you could do this for an extended period of time.
0: I really have to agree with you on that. On that note, I do want to say that I feel like in society, we have a tendency to take the extremes, either way left or way right. So I feel like this tiny home movement is way to one side, and McMansions are way on the other side. And there's always the middle ground, and the middle ground is always the way to go, which this article really highlighted nicely in that people who have tried tiny homes and and decide it's not for them don't move into McMansions, but actually end up living in a small apartment. Or, or something of a smaller size, but a little bit more permanent and bigger than their tiny home. And so I really like that they brought this up.
1: Yeah, the, you know, li- any extreme is probably never healthy for anybody. It, it, living in a McMansion with, with uh, more bathrooms people and people and more bedrooms and people, and then going to a tiny house, uh,
0: it, those
1: two extremes just don't make, make sense on, on so many levels.
0: And I, I just think when people want maybe to take up a tiny house, they they consider the alternative maybe a McMansion when in reality living in a smaller home is definitely definitely right and I have really seen this um, I, as a student I live in a student house and it's a one-floor three bedrooms one washroom a living room eating area and kitchen and it's really opened my eyes up to how you really don't need much space but there's still enough space that you don't go crazy within the confines of those walls
1: well I think society's convinced people they need uh, bigger houses uh, builders wouldn't be building uh, three thousand square foot homes if people weren't gonna willing to buy them, and societies convince ourselves that you know whatever house we grew up in it was too small, and and I think there's going to be a correction at some point where people are just going to say, you know what I, I don't need that big. one one thing coming in mind with the tiny homes is is where do you put them? That's the real question. I know traditional trailer parks don't want them. They 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 want nothing to do with a tiny home because I think the trailer parks are afraid of what these things could grow into as people start maybe adding additions to them and they turn into uh, an eyesore in their trailer park. So trailer parks don't want anything to do with a, a tiny home, which is a, a, a s- basically a self-built trailer. The you a lot of towns because it's not a f- on a foundation they won't let you put them in a in a driveway or on an empty lot in a town so really you're left putting these things out in the middle of nowhere at best and then the next question is well where do you work everyone needs to have a job to put food on the table so if you live in a tiny home where do you put it and where is that proximity to where you actually work
0: oh for sure because neighborhoods are built strategically near near centers. So you're going to end up maybe living in the middle of nowhere or somewhere you don't really want to live just to park this big home, it, tiny home, but bigger than it will fit anywhere else.
1: And, you know, all the documentation that I've seen, this is one of the things that I've yet to see a, uh, a clear explanation of how it works. How does the bathroom actually work? You know, where does the wastewater go? And then where does the inlet water, like where are you getting your, your water source from? Do you have a well? You're obviously not hooked up to town water because a lot of towns just won't allow them. So h- how is the water system working in this? I don't know. And then for heat, I mean, if it's a propane heater, uh, are you going to the hardware store and getting refilled propane tanks uh, every couple times a week? So the the infrastructure around how these things work, I'm yet to see a definitive documentary that actually documents how that works. And if any of our listeners have, please send us an email, leave us a comment on on how the infrastructure works on these tiny homes
0: i love the fact that you brought that up because i definitely feel like in in any documentary there's always a few missing pieces that you just aren't quite sure about well
1: they said a compost toilet well I, i've seen a compost toilet there's still waste associated with it and it still has a, a an odor like a, where does this go i i, I don't know and I, I i really can't see working if you take an rv in, in a in a in a high end trailer park they hook into a sewer system. You know, and then there's water hookups, electrical hookups. So I I am I'm curious about how all that transpires.
0: Um I, I just wanted to ask, would you say then that an RV, maybe even a high end or even not even that high end of an R V would be a good alternative to a tiny home? Well they they're saying you could get you could
1: build a tiny home for around twenty thousand dollars. Well uh The problem with RVs is, is let's take a fifth wheel trailer. One of the things they're built for is they're built lightweight, with the anticipation that you're gonna you're gonna tow it, and so that lightweight means probably durability is gonna gonna suffer. So those things probably have, I'm saying, a ten year life of of uh, you know where all the the infrastructure on it works properly, it doesn't leak. Uh, it's still roadworthy. I'm saying if you use it a lot, it probably has a ten-year life. So the, they they cost like I mean, if you're going to buy a t- tiny home, you're only going to have it for ten years. With well, twenty grand, that's a lot of money if you're comparing that to a to a house.
0: Oh, for sure, definitely.
1: Especially if um, you're if you're not buying it with the 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 idea of traveling, because one of the reasons that like a fifth wheel trailer costs so much is you get that luxury of being able to tow it around. So it's that's an upside
0: and with the tiny homes though you almost want to be able to have the capability to tote around because file officers may not be impressed by the tiny home being somewhere and you might have to be have to move it
1: yeah you know i'm i really don't i've never seen one in a town anywhere in canada that i've been i've never seen one set up so i really don't think you can actually set them up in town if you if you see one it is it's literally temporary. It's on its way to its final destination. I, I cannot see a, a a bylaw in any town I've ever been to allowing it.
0: No, I, I the same boat as you I haven't. so I'm sure I'm sure they're out there but more in the countryside. Trevor, a question about your the houses you've lived in or houses you've purchased, that you've lived in as an adult do you are you satisfied with the amount of space that you had in each home and is your, the next place you move to will you will you be downsizing to maybe not quite a tiny home but a smaller sized home that's just exactly what you need
1: well right now I'm in a about a 1900 square foot home and uh, I'm pretty much an empty nester so it, it's more house than uh, me and my wife actually need and, and we're definitely going to downsize but we might go through a transition I may uh do something radical like try a, a couple of years of RVing or I might rent for for a year but I'm definitely going to downsize in the next couple of years but uh, I definitely have about four times five times the space I, I need today but I could never move down to a tiny house
0: if you read this article back when you were buying your first home is there anything you would have done differently
1: well, I, I don't think I would have went into a tiny home. It, a lot of, So we talked about this before. When you buy a house, you're buying it for two reasons. One is an investment, and one is a place to live. And so a tiny home does not meet the investment criteria because there is no investment there. That, the tiny home represents total expense. So uh, it's not a good place to build wealth. So I probably would have still bought a house as a tool to build wealth we talked about in previous shows that forced savings by paying back your mortgage. Uh, they, they, you don't require the the discipline to, to save the money otherwise. So I'm I'm pretty sure I would have done exactly what I what I did. I, I would have bought a house and uh, built wealth that way.
0: So you did say you did mention a point that was in this article, which I found really interesting. It was that when you really think about it, tiny homes depreciate, whereas regular homes have the opportunity to appreciate due to inflation. You always see. If the market's good, you sell it more hopefully than what you purchase it for, which is something very different than tiny homes.
1: Yeah, so the twenty they the, the said it cost around twenty thousand dollars. By the time if, if you if you continue to maintain that tiny home, I highly doubt you could sell it for twenty thousand dollars ten years later. Uh, the the te- no technology would have passed you by for sure. I mean, they they would have found more efficient heating sources or more efficient building materials. So uh, I think the twenty thousand dollars is just is is c- consumed in living in a tiny house. There's it's zero zero return on investment.
0: Definitely, and to to hit another point within this article, they talked about Vancouver and how they're they're increasing the density by people moving into basement apartments or or living living in kind of smaller quarters. So I honestly think this is a better solution in that. If you do want to make a smaller footprint, if you if you do want to live smaller, just live differently. There are other options other than the the typical suburban house. Uh, so it's it's interesting to see that.
1: Well, you know, it is getting harder and harder to find a small house. Like when I'm I've been sort of browsing my town looking for a smaller house to if I downsize, and the definition of a small house is getting bigger and bigger as. People demand bigger houses that just, you know, you have to buy something 60 or 70 years old in my town to find something that is what I would consider small.
0: And, and that's exactly what the article said, that the, even the definition of tiny is, is is getting bigger.
1: Well, one of the things I looked up online was uh, uh, some, in, this is uh, uh, sort of the evolution of the square footage of homes, single, single family new homes being built. So if you go back to 1978, the average square footage was 1,780 square feet. In 2007, it was 2,479 square feet. In 2013, it was 2,662 square feet. So this is the average size new family home. That's growing so that, that's at an alarming incredible. rate, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, Let's, that is growing at alarming rate. And, yeah, I, I can't believe that. And if that keeps going, because, again, something needs to change and that's what I really like about the tiny house movement is again the philosophy behind it and that and and on that point Trevor that is why I really like this movement I like this movement for its philosophy and that there is an alternative to the McMansion into into living big
1: yeah yeah no it's definitely a, an alternative to living in a McMansion uh the, I, but I, I still don't think you need to go to that extreme I mean but it is it is a, you know what we need is a community of these tiny homes where you could go and feel like you're part of a of a community rather than feel like an outcast. That might that might be something that makes it work.
0: And and that is what why I think this movement or any movement, minimalist movement, any movement that is fighting against the mainstream societal norms is going to succeed because of social media and because of the the way you can reach people across the world who are also interested in this. And I mean you go online and there's websites and forums and and Reddit, it's it, it, they're all filled with ideas and inspirations and how to make this movement work and i really think this again we've said this so many times trevor that this our generation the millennial generation is really going to make an impact i, I think I, I i think this is what uh, what we need
1: well it, it may be a, a strategy I, I just don't know what stops these from being uh turning into slums slum housing you know i uh, i or, or a uh, what stops homeless people from moving in, in, in with a, a cardboard box or, or, or some, you know, hammered-together boards and calling it their tiny house? You know, how, how do you... There almost needs to be some sort of regulations around this to make it work.
0: And again, that's exactly what the article was talking about. They they did talk about how it was, again, a positive, positive way to create housing for low-income individuals. But again, I agree with you. Just with anything that's up and coming, it's so new. Any anything that like, is new just doesn't have enough regulations around it.
1: Well, like what about uh, one thing they don't talk about is what about the building code? You know, there's a building code uh, on, on homes to, and it's to protect the homeowner. It's for safety. It's for structural soundness. I don't even know there's any regulations, you know, codes for building these tiny homes. Maybe maybe they're not even safe. You know, if a if a storm comes along, you you could be you know in danger.
0: Oh, yeah. To that point, you have you have a team of engineers working with a a, a, a company to build maybe a whole neighborhood of houses that are all they're all going to be fine. So when you have maybe just a amateur builder building this tiny home, how do you know that it's going to be structurally sound?
1: Yeah, no. I, and I, I think um, so. So maybe so in a warmer climate like down in the southern United States, it obviously, is, it's less of an issue for insulation factors and things like that. But what about uh, carbon monoxide? You know, all the the heating. In, you know, it, it. There's just a lot of risk. I, I. I don't. I don't think tiny homes is a, is a, sustainable philosophy.
0: Definitely, and I'd like to know actually, like if there's more successful tiny homes than not successful, or vice versa. Like I would really like to have more transparency within the tiny home realm and really know the truth because. Right now, it does feel like they're trying to sell the tiny home version of the American Dream, white picket fence. I, I, you always see beautiful photos of these tiny homes. What's it like? What's it really like behind the smoke and mirror show?
1: Yeah, it. you'd almost have to, if you could rent one, you'd know. Uh, the only way I'd, I, you know, I said I wouldn't do this. I would do this if I wanted a cottage. You know, if I wanted a cottage, I'd buy a piece of land, have a well drilled, and I'd park... Uh, a tiny home you know on the on wheels on that that lot and call it my cottage and maybe I build a a, a cottage with a foundation in the future, maybe I don't, but that's about the only circumstances I would consider uh, a tiny home myself
0: and that's exactly like the author of this article who who has this beautiful view, and maybe because she li- they live in a tiny cottage builder there they are able to get this beautiful view so i do I do agree with you in that aspect you might only. Be able to be in certain places because you live in such a low low cost home
1: yeah, you know and we'll be sure I'll be sure to leave some links to photos of tiny homes just so our listeners get a feel for what we're talking about. They're very attractive looking structures, most of them they're very uh storybook looking a frame uh, usually done with you know nice wood uh, trim and i mean there's some real high quality architecture go- goes into some of these.
0: Oh, for sure. I, I you look at you look at one picture and you're like, yes, I definitely want to do that.
1: And I'll definitely link to that documentary on Netflix because that was a, probably the best show I've seen on on the uh, tiny home movement and the challenges and, and and the upside, the downside.
0: So, in closing, as we end this episode and before we get Trevor's simple money solution for this episode, I, we just want to say that. There's always an upside and downside to everything, every movement, every idea, every, every thought. And this is just a little little devil's advocate into the what if you lived in a tiny home. So Trevor, what is your Simple Money Solution takeaway from this episode?
1: So my Simple Money Solution on this episode is uh, I don't think a tiny home is, is a solution at all
0: definitely something for our listeners to really keep in mind we hope you enjoy this episode thanks for listening and make sure to check out the show notes at livelifesimple.ca as trevor mentioned we'll have links to to tiny the documentary as well as some tiny homes so you can really see what we're talking about please give this show a rating on itunes and make sure to check back with us next week make sure to leave your comments and questions about the show and anything else you'd like to see on the show on our website, send us an email. And also, if you're someone who's tried a, a tiny home, has been thinking of building one, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you and your experiences and any upsides or downsides that you felt about the tiny home. That is it for this episode. See you next week. And until then, keep it simple.